following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. I, um, I want to tell you about my worst Valentine's Day. I only, I've only had one bad one in... 26 years or so, but it was early on in our marriage, uh, a couple years into it, so still a rookie, and uh, we're still struggling financially and struggling to make ends meet, and so um, Joy says to me, well, why don't we just not get each other anything for Valentine's this year? Nothing, no gifts or cards or chocolate or anything, and I thought to myself, like a rookie, that's a great idea. That's fantastic. I'm off the hook. We can save money. This is great. And then the next day I'm thinking, can this be true? I mean, are you, you really nothing? We're not going to buy anything for each other? Yes, no, nothing. I don't want anything. Okay, okay, great. So come Valentine's Day, what happens? She pulls out all these gifts and cards and chocolate, and I'm the big idiot. Learned on that day when she says, I don't want anything. What that really means is, I want some good stuff. And so I, I eventually figured that out. So, rookie mistake. <laughs> I figured we'd talk about love today because it's Valentine's Day. What do you think? Good idea? Talk about love? So let's talk about love. Why don't we pray before we do that, because we're focusing on prayer, right? This is our focus, so let's pray, and uh, why don't you stand up? It's good to stand for prayer. And I'll lead us in prayer, and you follow along. Father in heaven, our loving Father, I pray, Lord, and I, as you know, I have been asking you this for many, many years that you would reveal your love to us. Because I'm convinced, Lord, that if anyone gets to see how much you really love them, their heart will melt, and they will do anything to follow you and to please you. And so more than anything else this morning, I ask that, Lord, that you would reveal to us your amazing love for us so that we would be changed and transformed. In return, Lord, right now we open our hearts to receive from you, Lord. Speak through me. And everybody said, Amen. Go ahead and be seated. What I want to talk about is what does it really mean When you love someone. What does it mean to really, really love someone? Because love is one of those words you have to define, right? We understand love with its context. You just can't say, I love something or I love you and understand what it means. Because I love football and I love my wife and I love our little dog Zoe and I love golf and I love Mount Rainier. You see, I love all these things, but certainly I don't love them the same. 
And so love is one of those words that has to be interpreted. And we understand it. We know it through its interpretation. You explain love, and then you know what it means. Another reason why you have to explain love is because we live in a me-first culture. Our whole culture is designed around, to create selfish people. You know, self-made, do-it-yourself, you can do it yourself, it's all for you. We live in a me, 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 me culture. And perhaps that's because it's hardwired into our DNA as human beings, me first. And you can see it in children, right? So when you tell children to line up, what do they do? They fight for the front, right? Or if you say to children, uh, we're going to line up to get on the bus, what do they do? They fight to be in front, and they bicker and squabble and push and scratch. They want to be first to get the best seat on the bus. I want it all for me. Now, unless I'm mistaken, that's wired into them as a human being Because if it's not, then there's some great conspiracy going on that we don't know about. And kindergarten teachers across the globe are teaching children to be selfish. I don't know. Could be. Or maybe it could be that that's just the way we are as human beings. We're already naturally very, 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 very selfish. Me first. And so, love must be defined it has to be explained i mean how do you know that you are loved how do you know that god loves you well you don't know until it's explained until you find out what true love is it's interesting that this me first thing is not just in children is it i mean it it goes all the way up to adults Can you remember the last time you were driving down the road and you were merging from one lane into two? And and as you're trying, you're either you're either the guy there who who speeds up, so he's only like three feet in front of you, and the person you're behind, just so that other guy has to go behind you, or that guy that does that to you, so you can't get in there, right? It's me first. Adults, children, it's all of us. You know, it wasn't any different in Jesus' day. No different. Look at this. Luke 9, 46. It says, An argument arose among the disciples as to which one of them was the greatest. Really? The disciples are fighting now as to who's the best disciple? Yeah, unfortunately, it goes all the way back to then. The Greeks had six words for love. Three of them were used in common language, and those three are storge. Storge, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but is family love. So that's the love of a father to a child, or from a, to a sister to a brother. That kind of family love. Phileia is friendship love. That's love between two friends. Eros love, is that's where we get the word erotic. It is between two lovers. Two lovers in love. And then you have the word agape. 
when Paul was writing in the New Testament and writing to the church in Corinth, he chose a specific Greek word that was not very common, not used a lot in their culture, because he had to use a a specific word for love that was more fitting with God's love, the way, the kind of love that God has towards people. And so he used the word agape, or agape, however you want to pronounce it, which is unconditional love. And so when you read the Bible and you see that word love there in any part of the Bible, you need to to find out, well, which one is being used? It makes a big difference when we're talking about love. Does the writer use philea or do they use agape? That's very important to know because then it tells me exactly what kind of love we're talking about. So, In 1 Corinthians 13, that's referred to as the love chapter. If you're new to the faith, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And in that chapter, Paul uses one word for love exclusively. It's the word agape. It means unconditional love. So we know for sure in this passage, the kind of love he's talking about is unconditional love, which is God's love. This is how God loves us. This is how God loves you. This is God love. Okay? This isn't necessarily how we love. We can love this way, but it isn't necessarily how we love. This is God's heart towards you and I. Do you want to know what he thinks of you? You see it in this passage. So let me read it, and it's only 13 verses. And uh, you can follow along on the screens. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these 
is love. Now, this one chapter of the Bible, more than many of other chapters of the Bible, is unbelievable in its power to reveal our hearts. This chapter is like a mirror to your soul, and it shows you how you love. You get to see and compare your own heart and your own life and how loving am I to other people based upon reading this chapter. You get to see your weaknesses and your failures when it comes to love. We get to see it as a church, as a Christian, as a parent, as a child, as a friend. You read this passage and you see where you fall short. It also lets you know whether or not you were loved. You can read this passage and look back on your childhood and think, did my parents love me? Was I loved or was I not loved? Some read this and realize they're not loved by their spouse. It functions like a mirror. It humbles us. And what it does is it shows us what really matters to God. You get to see God's thoughts in this passage. We see his priorities, what's important to him, what he wants, what he wants to see in us. And we get to see how much he loves us. Now, If you're going to start today loving someone, everyone should be able to love one person, right? I mean, don't try and love everybody, all right? Don't do that because you'll fail at that. So just pick one person and love that person extravagantly with every bit of strength you have in your life. Love that one person your whole life long and you will become a very loving person. Individual, and that one person that you love is God. Love God with all of your heart, all of your strength, and you will become 1 Corinthians 13. It starts with Him, it's always about Him. Jesus said this in John 13 A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is giving them a commandment now. You must love one another. So it's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. You know, hey, it might really go well for you if you do this. No, this is a command from Jesus that you and I must love each other. That you must love the person next to you, behind you, in front of you. We must love each other. In fact, he goes even further to say that not only should we love each other, but this is the defining characteristic of a Christian. That this is how you should be able to tell whether or not somebody is a follower of Christ by their love for their brothers and sisters. How we treat each other. It's a command. And it's also, it identifies. Now, 
it's not that, at least in my experience, it's not that people don't want to love. People do. I mean, who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want, everybody loves that and wants to be loved. It's not, that's not the problem. The problem is we don't know how. Many, many times in counseling while I'm working with a person, they'll come to the realization, my parents didn't love me. And always it causes great hurt and a period of sorrow and grieving that I wasn't loved growing up. But they'll think, you know, if you ask my parents, my parents would say they loved me, and yet I didn't feel loved. It's because they didn't know how. They wanted to love their kids. Who? What parent wouldn't? They just didn't know how. First Corinthians tells us how. You ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to love you, but that doesn't mean I have to like you. <laughs> yeah, you've heard it before, haven't you? <laughs> you know what? Based on what we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, that comes out of the mouth of a Pharisee. That's Pharisaical talk. It certainly isn't love talk. That kind of person on the outside is a disciple of Jesus. And on the inside, they're a child of hell. So Jesus commanded us to love one another. And Paul says that that love is defined by three Christian ideals. And these are of the highest level. I mean, these are the Pope level. Okay? I mean, this is... There is no such thing, right? But these are high-level stuff, right? High-level stuff. Three of them, he makes a comparison. He says, a person who can flow with the power of the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues of angels. He uses that person. Or another person who has a powerful prophetic gift They can literally speak to people about their life and about their future. And they understand the deep things of God, the great mysteries of God. They understand it. And then this last one is a martyr. Somebody who gives their life and is killed for their faith. And he he compares love to these three people. Now, I've never met a Christian martyr because... I'd have to be dead, right, to meet one? I mean, I met, I've, I met them pre-martyr, but not post-martyr. <laughs> Nobody has. <laughs> They're still living. But I'll tell you what, I have met people who can speak with tongues of angels and prophesy and understand the deep mysteries of God. I have met those people And those people have lied about me, hurt me, betrayed me, slandered me. And in every single case, I could care less how much they love God. It was the fact that they just didn't love me. And so Paul is saying that you can have all these things in great measure, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Nothing. I mean, that 
That's powerful. That, that tells you how important this is to God. But you're raising people from the dead and you're moving mountains. You've got a following of 20,000 people. But if there isn't love in that heart of yours, you're nothing. Wow. That's just, wow. How does this happen? I, I don't know. Maybe they were blinded by pride, you know, and all the gifts and all the millions of people and all the money, and so they're blinded by the success and the pride, and so they aren't loving. I don't know. How can you be so angry at me that you curse me, you curse my children? This woman said to me one time, I feel so sorry for your children that they would grow up under you. You can curse my ministry. You can say that God wants nothing more to do with me. A gentleman wrote me a letter one time and he said, uh, God has written Ichabod over your name. His presence has departed. And in each one of those cases, what I thought to myself was, that's not what God says about me. God loves me. He loves me. He's not mad at me. He's not condemning me. In fact, I live my life on that promise, Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned by God. Then why are you condemning me? Are you greater than God? He doesn't condemn me, and yet you do. Maybe it's that you don't have any love. And therefore, you're nothing. And because love is not a feeling, it's an action, all of the words, or the, the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13, he uses verbs. They're all verbs. Because love is an action. So let's look at some of those real quick. Okay, let's look at some of those. If you love someone, if you love the person in front of you, if you love your brothers and sisters at Canyon Ridge Church, then you will be a person of patience and kindness. Love is patient and love is kind. Do we need the Greek words to translate the meaning of patience and kindness? No. No, we know what that means, right? It's not a mysterious thing, right? (laughs) You know what patience means. Of course you do. It means I'm not frustrated by your actions. It means that I'm not going to speak to you harshly. I'm not going to cuss you out. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to do any of those things. Because all of those are the opposite of kindness and that's not Jesus. He, he never did that. It's, I'm going to give you room to grow. 
you know what? I long to be a part of a church where everybody has the freedom to grow at their own pace. Where everybody could be on their own journey and grow at their own pace and nobody breathing down their neck telling them they're not good enough. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Let's make this church like that. What do you think? Okay, three of us. This church is going to suck. <laughs> they got to give each other room to grow. If you love someone, the, pace, the person in front of you, people behind you, then you won't be jealous of them. And you won't brag about how great you are. Because love doesn't do those things, you see? So when another person is exalted in the church and they receive some sort of adulation and thanks and praise and they're given uh, uh, prominence up here on the platform, you're not sitting there thinking this is wrong. I should be up there. I should be getting this. I've been serving in children's ministry for 16 years and nobody has ever brought me up there and given me flowers. You see? We're not jealous by other people's success. We're happy for them. We want that to happen. And we never brag about our own successes. You know, nobody portrayed this more than Jesus. Nobody. Jesus would heal people. I mean, like bona fide, like real. The guy's paralyzed, you know, and then he gets up and he's walking around. And what does he do? He calls in his marketing agent and says, hey, we got to get this on TV, man. Get a camera crew in here. We got to interview this guy. We got to get this word out so we can get more people. No, he never did that. He said, hey, shh, shh. Let's keep this between us. Don't tell anybody. Amazing. The one person in the room that could boast chose not to. Paul says, hey, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses, not my strengths. You see, being a Christian is not about seeing who is the greatest. Yet that's what we make of it when we're not loving. When there's no love in it, that's what it becomes. It becomes about everybody one-upping each other and who's the greatest. Love has nothing to do with measuring yourself with other people, either positively or negatively. It has nothing to do with that. Oh, he's such a better speaker than me. Oh, she's such a godly woman. She's a, she's a better Christian than me. I'm just dirt. I'm nothing. God is so proud of her. He's disgusted with me. You see, love doesn't make those comparisons. Love says, I am on my path with the Lord and nothing else matters. He said that love is not arrogant or rude. 
pride is me, 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 and more of me. And you know it when you see it, right? Do you know pride is like bad breath? The the only one that doesn't know they're full of it is the guy who has it. Right? You see it. You know it. When you see pride, you see it on somebody and you're like, ugh, gross. There's no love in pride. There's no love in arrogance or being rude. Rude people are abusive. And listen, they could care less how their words affect other people. They're rude. And so they, they, they try and convince us that this is okay. And they say, well, I'm just like that. I say it like it is. I'm straight up. No, you're rude. You're a jerk. You don't have love. See, the truth must always be packed in grace. I can handle the truth as long as you pack it with love. Truth hurts without love. What will happen, do you think, what will happen to a child if every single day of their life, their parents said to them at least 10 times a day, I don't love you. What do you think would happen to that kid? You think they would be fine? Every day of their life, multiple times a day, I don't love you. That child's going to grow up hating those parents and not knowing what love is and probably hating themselves. But perhaps that's exactly what we're doing. When we are impatient with our children, when we are unkind and rude, when we can scream at them in anger and get away with it because they're just a child, they can't do anything about it. We don't do that to our boss because he could fire us, but we do it to our three-year-old. And see, kids can't process that kind of information. They're not mature enough yet. They don't know my dad really loves me. All they see is this screaming, angry father, and all they hear is, I don't love you. And kids grow up thinking their parents don't love them. All along, the parents think they do love them. But nobody taught them what love was. And so they were doing all the things that love isn't. Here's another one. Love does not demand its own way. You know what's amazing to me is how many Christians believe it is their God-given right to impose their will on other people. Some people like wear it like a badge, you know? Like God is just, boom, appointed them. And it's their job to point out what is wrong. And so that's what they do. They go around and they really love to tell pastors. I mean, that's the best part. If you can tell off a pastor. If that doesn't work, well, then you can just go to one of the parishioners. But anything that happens that isn't going their way 
or isn't the way they want it. Now, I'm a jerk and I'm incompetent. You're a terrible leader. You're a bad pastor because you didn't do it the way I would do it. Love doesn't demand that everything goes its way. We prefer one another above ourselves. Oh, you would like it this way? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Love says, I don't like this loud worship music. So I'm going to go to a church that doesn't have that kind of music. And, 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 and on, on my way out, I'm going to bless the pastor, give him a hug, $1,000, and say, God bless you, I love you. That's what love would do, eh, without the money, but that's what love would do. Love says, I don't like this loud music. It's not the kind of worship that I'm used to. But I see that other people are worshiping God with this music, and so... It's okay with me. I see value in it. Now, I'm not saying that we can never make people accountable for their actions. We do and we must. That's not what I'm saying. They're just free to do whatever they want. No. You got to grow and mature and move along and become more and more like Christ. Yes, we're talking about that. But it's all in how you say it. Your words matter. Your tone of voice matters. It really does. All of this matters a whole lot until somebody is offended and then you get to see whether or not there really is any love at all. I think our church in 2010 came dangerously close to being closed for the lack of love. I believe Harbor Light Church in Everett, and those of you who know about that, was closed because God went up there and evaluated that congregation and there was no love there, and so he said, okay, it's nothing. Shut it down. You see, love isn't really love. It's nothing until you start loving someone who doesn't deserve it. Right? I mean, that's when you really see love. Jesus said that. He said it in Matthew 5. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Nothing. Because tax collectors or, you know, wicked people, they do the same thing. Right? They love people that love them. That's easy to do. That's nothing. What matters is when you love someone who's very difficult to love. Someone who's not going to love you back. Demonstrating love when people offend you. When someone offends you and they do something that you don't like, do it away, you wouldn't do it. Your response is in kindness. It's gentle. It's preferring them. It's saying, hey, I can agree to disagree. I still love you. You're okay. I'm okay. It's when somebody interprets the Bible differently than you do, you're okay. Okay, that's where they're at. They're coming along. They'll be fine. 
You'll get it. It means that when we're loving and someone offends us, we do exactly what Jesus told us to do. And we know what that is, as plain as day. It's found in Matthew 18. He said, what? You know, right? If somebody offends you, you go right to that person. I think some people think it says, when somebody offends you, you tell all of your friends... And then when you can't get any of them to agree with you, you go and talk to the pastor. And if he won't agree, then you go and find strangers that'll agree. Somebody's got to agree with my point of view. Jesus said, go to that person in gentleness and humility. But you know what I think most people do? And it's probably one of the most painful aspects of being a leader in the church is this is what people do when they get offended when they get hurt rather than go to that person that offended them and hurt them they just abandon the relationship they just leave just like that boom pack up out gone how painful that is Five years of relationship has just been flushed right down the toilet because you got offended. You know how many times you've offended me? (laughs) That's not love. That's not love. I've been through that a million times. And it's not loving. You see, love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't this passage great? I mean, this is awesome. I feel like puking. Because <laughs> it's, it's so tough, isn't it? It's just like a mirror to your soul. And you, and you see this and you go, Oh God, we don't love the way you love. Your love is amazing. You, in your love, you keep no record of wrongs. Your, your, your love is powerful. It's life-changing. I want to be that way. I want to love that 